All right, welcome to Friday. It's uh, it's about that time for the Disability Law Show. Good to have you here. John Scholes, your host, and always with me, Savan Tamarkin from Samfiru Tamarkin LLP. Reaching out anytime with your questions and concerns when it comes to your long-term disability, etc., you can do so with Savan and his team. Toll-free number, of course, 1-855-821-5900. Website's disabilityrights.ca. Use that as much as you'd like. And email is help at disabilityrights.ca. I'll give you some more contact information and ways to reach out. Throughout the uh, the half hour, our main topic in just a bit, three uh, top three things to know if you're injured and an insurance company tries to settle with you directly. How about that? We'll get to that in, uh, momentarily, but Savannah, we always start off with a week that was something you've been working on, pal. Yeah, for sure, John. Great to be here with you. Let me tell you about an interesting call that I had this week. Uh, it was from a 28-year-old woman. Uh, she lives in Scarborough, and uh, she was struck uh, last week by a car. She, she was uh, cycling. She was a cyclist. Uh, she was on the cycling lane, and the car, I guess, just got too close to her. The driver wasn't paying attention, oh. and she fell off the bike. Uh, it, it was a pretty uh, a pretty bad crash for her. She broke her right ankle. Uh, she had to have surgery. She has some metal hardware. She has some screws now there. Jeez. It's going to be a long recovery, and, and I've dealt with many cases where people have fractured their knees or uh, their ankles, or their back. You know, I mean... Whenever you su- suffer a, an injury like that, especially when you require surgery for it, and now you have foreign objects in your body like screws and rods, etc., uh, you know that these things are serious, and it takes a while until you get back, even if you are a young person. And, and this lady, she works as an office assistant; that's a full-time job. But on the weekends, she also works as a restaurant server uh, in a very busy restaurant. You know, and restaurant servers, depending on the restaurant, can make a pretty good living just on that, just on the tips. Yep. Sure. So she's making, you know, some nice coin. She lives by herself. She's very independent. She's very social. And and here's what her concern is. She's going to be off work for at least a few months now with physio. Uh, she's going to, at some point, I think, gradually return back to some kind of work. Certainly the assistant job, I think, is something that she can come back to, you know, fairly quickly, relatively speaking. But again, who knows? It depends on the pain, depends on the limitations, etc. Uh, But here's the other thing, though. I mean, she is, and she was telling me that the thing that bothers her the most, believe it or not, is is not even the loss of income. She has her parents that can support her, but it's really the fact that she was so active before this. I mean, we're talking about somebody who ran marathons. I think she told me she ran like 12 marathons. Oh, my God. She does CrossFit several times a week. Uh, I mean, John, I think she's more active than I am, and you know how active I like to be. So we're talking about somebody who is just very outdoorsy as well, uh, travels a lot. And so you just imagine the impact it's going to have on her. And the reason I thought this was an interesting case to talk about here is for, for, uh, for a few reasons, really. Number one, I'm going to explain what kind of benefits she's entitled to, what kind of damages and compensation she can be looking at. But at the same time, you know, what's really important to understand is the impact of some injuries on you in the future, not just you now. And the reason why this is important is because some lawyers who handle these kinds of claims, and I have seen this when I worked on the defense side, when I worked for insurance companies 20 years ago, some lawyers only focus on the now. And the problem is that the now is important, but don't forget about the later, right? I mean, when you have an injury, and doctors will tell you this, especially an injury like this, you may have... Uh, a higher chance now of developing osteoporosis, uh, of developing arthritis, of developing a whole bunch of other symptoms, of having issues down the road that are going to impact you, impact your mobility, impact your strength, 
And, and you know, John, I have an injury myself. I can tell you with the body adapts, but it adapts in a way that may injure a different part of the body, right? You, yeah. you compensate. Compensate. So sure. maybe she's going to have, right, maybe she's going to have hip issues down the road. And again, right now she's 28, very young. It's not a big deal. I'm putting that in quotes, but it may be a much bigger deal down the road when she's not going to be able to take care of herself, maybe when she's 70 or 80 or whatever it is. So let's break this down again here. So first of all, she was not at fault here. The police attended the scene. They charged. They gave a ticket to the driver, careless driving. I don't think anybody's going to argue here that she was at fault. So I suspect that she's going to be 0% at fault or close to zero. Uh, the driver's going to be at fault here. So what is she entitled to? What can she get? What we, me and my team as lawyers, what can we do for her? Number one, we can make sure that she gets uh, uh, income replacement benefits. And that is a benefit that you get from either your own automobile insurance company, or if you don't have one like this girl, she's going to be entitled to that benefit from the insurance company of the driver who hit her. Right. So that insurance company is going to have to pay her income replacement benefits. Typically, they're up to $400 a week. That's usually the uh, the max. There's a formula that the insurance company uses to calculate how much you're entitled to. She's going to be entitled to a certain amount of money, up to $65,000 for uh, uh, medical and rehabilitation benefits, attendant care, etc. And potentially some other benefits. But in addition to that, she may be entitled to a claim against the other driver for her pain and suffering and for future income losses and other types of losses. Again, let's break this down. Mm -hmm. So she's entitled to potentially income replacement benefits and medical rehabilitation. So anything she needs by way of rehab that's not paid by OHIP or not paid by her health benefits plans for work, she's going to uh, potentially get that or be entitled to get that from the insurance company of the driver that hit her. Right. And when we're looking at pain and suffering, again, we're looking at what is the impact of the injury? What is the type of injury you suffered? What is the impact of that injury now on your lifestyle, on your ability to work, etc.? When I uh, used to work for insurance defense for insurance companies, my job back then was to pay as little as possible to people who were injured. Yep. Now, I try to maximize whatever I can. So if I'm going to, a, you know, let's say a settlement conference here on this case, a year from now, as an example, Depending on her situation, I may be asking the insurance company to pay her $100,000 just for her pain and suffering. Now, they're going to push back. They're going to say, no, $100,000, that's insane. We're going to pay $20,000. Well, I can tell you from my experience, an injury like hers can easily get you anywhere from thirty to forty to fifty to sixty, maybe even $70,000 just for pain and suffering. Again, it depends on the case. It depends on you know, how she recovers from it. it depends on a whole bunch of, of things. But that's not the only category of compensation. We're talking about a potential income loss. How much longer is she going to be off work? What is going to be the impact of this injury on her ability to work in the future? Is she going to be able to go back to being uh, a server in a restaurant? Or is that going to be too difficult for her? Is she just going to go back to being an assistant in an office? Again, let me just do quick math for you, John. Let's say that she's earning on a monthly basis from the restaurant, from the restaurant, $1,000 per month, $12,000 a year. Let's say that she was going to do that for the next 12 years. Mm -hmm. Do the math on that, right? Yeah. I mean, what is it? 60,000, 70,000, whatever it is. My point is that there are different categories of compensation that a person who is injured could be entitled to. But I'm telling you that there is another facet here. There's something else to look at. The future. Is she going to need rehabilitation in the future? Is there going to be a potential that she's going to develop a condition 
like arthritis, severe arthritis in her uh, uh, ankle, that's going to impact her mobility. Should we account for the fact that she may need some mobility devices 60 years from now? Now, yeah. some people out there may say, well, that's way too long, that's far in the future. Maybe, maybe, but that's not her fault that she, she, she's now in that position where now there is a likelihood that she may develop those conditions. So my point is, to people out there who are listening, when you are suffering an injury, when you suffer a, a, an injury because of a car accident, a slip and fall, a boating accident, whatever the injury is, and when you're talking to a lawyer like us, it is absolutely vital for that lawyer or that law firm that's ultimately representing you to make sure that they understand completely your situation, not just now, but in the future. Because if they get you money just for the now, they could be leaving out a whole bunch of money that you're owed now, but for the future. And here's the thing. If you settle your case now for X amount of dollars, you sign a piece of paper called a full Dude. and final release, you are mm -hmm. releasing the insurance company from any further obligation. Yep. So it's absolutely crucial to make sure that you look at the whole picture, that you really engage the right experts, which is what we do. We get the right orthopedic surgeons on board. Uh, we get the right, uh, uh, any other doctors, any, any accountants that we need to crunch the numbers, any future care cost experts, like occupational therapists, physiotherapists who can do a report for us based on the doctor's recommendations to figure out, again, what does the person need in terms of their rehab and, and those kinds of things for the future. We want to make sure that we don't leave anything on the table and that we put as much money in your pocket as possible. Especially with a client like this who's so active to realize, you know, 10 years down the road that, you know, got cents on the dollar to what she could have. It'll be absolutely soul crushing because, like you said, you can't go back and get any more. Like she's done. That would be awful. That's exactly right. You're right. And you know, John, because we've been doing this for so many years, this show, you and I, mm -hmm. I can tell you that I routinely have people calling me who have had claims three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago who now understand, because of what we're talking about, the full impact of their injury on their lives. And when they look back at the settlement that they have gotten back then with their lawyers, in many instances, I tell them, well, unfortunately, you could have gotten more, in my opinion, but you got legal advice, you went to the lawyers you went to, and that's it is what it is. I cannot reopen the case for you now. I can't. The law doesn't allow me to do that. And so you have to live with that settlement. And maybe that settlement was 50 cents on the dollar. Maybe. I don't know. The point is, you want to make sure, this is why I keep telling people, you make sure that you go to the right lawyers, to the right law firm. And if you don't, down the road, if you realize you made a mistake, it could be too late. So get it right from the beginning. And with that, always make that phone call right off the hop, one 821 5900 Email is help at disabilityrights.ca. Let's get to our uh, main topic, Savannah. Before we get into a break, that would be the top three things to know if you're injured and an insurance company tries to settle with you directly. Number one, insurers are sophisticated entities, and their adjusters are tasked with paying as little as possible to settle claims. As we know, there are many categories of compensation, and you may not be aware of what you are truly owed. No kidding, huh? Absolutely. And John, this is something we talked about for, for many, like on, on many shows. And again, remember, I used to work for insurance companies. They are sophisticated. These adjusters, they know what they're doing. If you are trying to settle directly with an insurance company, you must understand that unless you're in the industry yourself, it's like any other field, you are going to be outmatched by the other side, right? I mean, if you need a plumber to come to your home and you don't know anything about plumbing, you're not going to tell the plumber, here's what you need to do. The plumber's going to tell you that. Well, when you're dealing with an adjuster who now is trying to pay you as little as possible, if not nothing, 
they're going to try and figure out how to bamboozle you, how to not pay you anything, because that is what they're tasked with for the insurance company. You need somebody on your side to make sure that your rights are protected, that not only can you get what you're owed, but maybe you can you know, make sure that nothing gets missed and maybe even get even more. I have no problem taking more from the insurance company if I can't for my clients. But it's absolutely key to understand that these adjusters, these insurance companies are not your friends. They are there to make money for their shareholders. And that means not paying you what you're owed. All right, time for a quick break. Savan, we'll get to the other two, the top two of the top three things to know if you're injured and an insurance company tries to settle with you directly. That's coming up, so stand by. In the meantime, the phone number, one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. Lots more of the Disability Law Show is on the way. Hang on. And yeah, you bet we're back with the Disability Law Show, heading into Into Your Weekend. Uh, Savan Tamarkin, always available, and his team, one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. We just cracked it open, our main topic for the other uh, week, Savan. Top three things to know if you're in, uh, injured and an insurance company is trying to settle with you directly. The next one down the list is the adjuster will often want to get you to sign a statement right there. Be, be very careful of this one, right? Yeah, and I can tell you, John, unequivocally, you should not be signing any statement that an adjuster puts in front of you, even if you think that it reflects exactly what you told the adjuster. And I'll explain to you why. Uh, you know, you know, when you watch uh, TV, American TV, uh, when, when the cops arrest you, they're saying, uh, they typically tell you, uh, anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. Right. This is exactly what insurance companies do whenever you sign a statement. First of all, you have no obligation to sign any statement. That's number one. So if you don't have an obligation to sign it, why would you sign it? It's only to the benefit of the insurance company. So keep that in mind. Number two, when you are actually preparing a statement or giving a statement, remember that the adjuster is not necessarily taking your statement word per word. They may substitute certain things, which to you may appear like, oh, it's just another way of saying what I said, but not exactly. And so you may not understand the difference, but I can tell you that in many instances, when I have seen these statements before I became involved on a claim, when I looked at the statement, I'm just thinking to myself, oh my Lord, now I have to figure out how to backtrack out of this. I'll give you a very simple example, and I've given this before, because it's actually from real life. It's when somebody has uh, slipped and fell on a liquid in a store, or as they're coming down steps in a mall, or whatever. And, And, you know, they... When they give the statement, they say something to the effect of, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, when I fell, I, I, you know, I, I think it was because, you know, I slipped on a liquid. Uh, and, uh, and then subsequently they explain that, yeah, you know, their, their clothes were a bit wet and, and they saw that, you know, it was something that uh, it clearly was on the floor. That's what caused them to fall. The adjuster omitted the fact that, you know, their clothes were wet and simply put in there, that the person said that they thought that they slipped on something wet. Well, when you say, I thought, it means you don't know necessarily, right? You're not sure of that. So it gives them an opening to argue, well, you don't really know why you fell. If you don't know why you you fell, how can you actually prove that we were at fault, that we did something wrong? So again, there are many examples, I can tell you, many, many examples where I have looked at statements that were signed by individuals who thought that they were expressing to the adjuster exactly what happened. They thought that it was just completely clear, but didn't understand that certain words were used, certain conjunctions, you know, whatever. And then afterwards, they get a response from the insurance company. Well, based on the statement that you gave, that you signed, and based on the information we have in our investigation, we believe that we're not at fault. So therefore, we're not paying you a dime. 
Why put yourself in that position? How do you avoid that? Well, number one, you don't sign a statement without speaking to a lawyer first. Number two, you don't have to sign a statement. You don't. There's nothing that obligates you to sign a statement in order to receive compensation from someone whose negligent, uh, negligence caused you injury. So again, the easiest thing to do is to just get advice. You can give us a call. You don't even have to retain us, honestly. We don't charge anything for this. Just speak to me, speak to a member of my team, and we'll just guide you. We'll tell you what needs to be done. At the end of the day, it's really your choice on how you want to proceed. But if you think you can outsmart an adjuster or an insurance company, and listen, maybe some people can, you are taking a risk because they are pros. They know what they're doing. We are talking about the top three things to know if you're injured and an insurance company tries to settle with you directly. Number three, or number one, I guess, and we, and we touched on this, insurers will try to get you to sign a full and final release before before you speak with a lawyer. Don't do it. Don't do it. Do not do it. If you sign a full and final release, get a check from the insurance company and put that check in the bank, you cash it, the, the um, deal is done. It's consummated. A court will simply not undo it except for the most rarest of circumstances. And people come to me, John, sometimes and say, well, it was under duress. Uh, duress. Listen, the test for duress is so difficult to meet. It is such a high bar. Chances are you're not going to meet it. I can tell you that. It's extremely rare to have a court undo a settlement. Uh, so why even do that in the first place? If you're signing a full and final release, that's what it is. It is a full and final release, releasing the insurance company, releasing the defendant potentially from any other obligation. The other thing to consider is this, and I've seen this as well. When you have a slip and fall, and John, you talked, we talked about this uh, before, where sometimes you have multiple parties that may be responsible for this. So for example, let's say that you fell on a parking lot because it was black ice. Well, maybe you were negotiating with the insurance company for whoever owned that property. But if I was involved, I would do some due diligence and maybe find out, well, that there is a company that, you know, the owner of the property hired to maintain the property, right? Like a winter maintenance contractor, they have their own insurance. And maybe they subcontracted to another cleaner. So maybe there is a third insurance company. Well, now we could potentially be dealing with three insurance companies, three pockets that can potentially pay you money. More money, perhaps, than one insurance company that you're dealing with. So you may be dealing with one insurance company and, and potentially getting, let's say, $10,000 from them, where if I got into the picture, I, was, I would be able potentially to, to negotiate $100,000 with all three insurance companies. But if you sign that release against that defendant, that owner of the premises, and their insurance company you know, got that piece of paper from you, that could, depending on what you sign, potentially bar you or at least limit your ability to pursue damages and compensation from the other potential parties who are at fault. So again, you don't want to get into this. Well, you need somebody that knows what they're doing. This is, again, this is what we do for a living as lawyers that specialize in this area of law. You need to make sure that you get proper advice, which is why, John, we do this show so we can educate people, answer questions. And when people call us, we give you the best advice absolutely possible. And then if you need our help, we will be more than happy to advocate for you and represent you. 
want to get into an email here with some uh, remaining time. So, man, this one from Samara says, uh, guys, I was walking back from my dentist appointment to my car about three months ago, and I tripped on a pothole in the parking lot. It was a fairly large, and my son went to take photos the following day. I broke my right ankle in two places and had to have surgery on it. My doctor said that it'll take me a while with physio and other treatments to get my mobility back. The problem is that I work in a warehouse and I'm on my feet all day. My employer said that they can accommodate me, but only partially, which means that I'll be uh, taking a pay reduction since I can only work a few hours a day rather than the eight I was doing for the last 14 years. I don't know what to do. I live alone, uh, although my son has offered to help me with the rent, but he's also struggling financially because he's away at school and has many expenses. What do I do? Whoa, John, this is uh, the week of broken ankles. Seriously. Um, <clears throat> Samara, I can tell you that uh, depending on the size of the pothole, location, I just need some more information, uh, you are going to be entitled here to compensation, and it could be quite significant. I mean, like I said in the last segment, a fractured ankle with surgery, in my experience, can, can garner you $50,000, sixty, maybe $70,000, maybe even more, depending on, again, the impact on your livelihood and on your life just for pain and suffering, just for pain. So imagine you're getting $60,000 as an example for your pain and suffering. But what about the income loss here? And it could be significant, John, because she has a very strong history of working and she is on her feet every day. Listen, if she's earning, let's say $50,000 a year, I'm just throwing out a number, and she can't work for five years, do the math, do the math, $250,000 just for income loss. Now again, it's not a straightforward calculation like that, but I'm giving you a hypothetical, an idea. What if she's able to go back to work partially because there's some accommodation? By the way, that's another issue. Is the employer really accommodating her, right? There can be an employment angle here, which we can help her with because we do employment law as well. But we need to make sure that she's completely protected on all fronts. You know, and God bless her son. He went and took photographs so I can actually see the photographs. We can measure the pothole and we can actually tell her if, in fact, she's entitled to compensation uh, as a fact. Not only that, but her son potentially is entitled to compensation too under the Family Law Act. Section 61 of the Family Law Act in Ontario states that certain family members are entitled to compensation potentially if one of their family members is injured in a car accident, in a trip and fall, whatever. It actually itemizes. You can Google it. Section 61 of the Family Law Act in Ontario. So again, her son is going to be also potentially able to claim some compensation here. Mm. So I suggest, I mean, we can do a whole show just on this email, John, but I can speak with Samara after the show, explain to her everything. I suspect that the kind of claim she has is easily in the six figures. It could be a claim that's worth 300, 400, maybe even half a million dollars, maybe even more. But I need to be able to fully understand the scope of the impact of this injury on her life and on her family. And then we can go from there. I can tell her exactly what needs to be done step by step. Samara, appreciate that uh, that email. Very well done. Uh, as you've done, you've taken the first step and sent along that email. And uh, now follow up with that phone call, one 821 5900 And that's uh, probably where we're going to leave it for this show. That email address is help at disabilityrights.ca. And I want to mention as well another outlet for you to ask questions anonymously, by the way. And it's searchable. It's a nice, uh, nice perk to this particular website, mydisabilityquestions.com. You're off into your weekend, and we will catch you next time right here on the Disability Law Show.